listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Well, good morning, and I hope that you're all social distancing. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're beginning a new series this Sunday called By Faith. This is going to be a short series, only three weeks long, in which we're going to be talking about what faith is and what is the role of faith that it plays, what role faith plays in our relationship with God. You know, what's interesting, and originally we planned this series because of the unique season that we're in as a church family, as many of you know, and as you can see, uh, over the past few years, you know, we've been praying, we've been saving money because we believe that God's next stage for us as a church was to move into our own facility and kind of have a dedicated place for doing ministry throughout the week and and that it would kind of open up opportunities for us. And just a few months ago, God put this incredible opportunity in front of us to move into this space we're in right now, uh, filming from here at 2930 Colorful Avenue here in Longmont, just right on Highway 119, north of Sandstone Ranch. Uh, But being in this location, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to broaden our outreach as a church. You know, I like to liken it to the family van. It's not not the point of the family, but it's a tool that the family uses to do the things that families do. And so we want to use this as a tool to fulfill the calling that God has given us as a church to make disciples and to engage in God's mission around the world. But At the same time, this is also a stretch for us. It's a stretch financially. You know, we're going from having a little to having a lot to work with. We we were outgrowing the memorial building where we've been for the last over 10 years. And although the memorial building was a great place to start out and grow, we've gotten to the place where it was putting some very real limitations on us as a church moving forward. I always mention this, but our our middle school class has been meeting in a hallway, and we we haven't been able to expand certain things. And so as a church family, we're faced kind of with a choice, right? Will we choose to play it safe and stay in the memorial building, but at the same time deal with real limitations that we were bumping up against? Or would we take a step of faith and trust God that if this is how he's leading us, then he's going to provide for our material needs to be here. And as a result, though, we'll also experience greater blessings. So that was the original idea behind this series called By Faith. But uh, as you know, we are now in a, a very unique situation with the coronavirus and social distancing, something that's really unprecedented in our lifetimes. And and because of the way the world is, you know, it's unprecedented in the history of the world, perhaps, right? History is going to tell the story of this time that we're living out right now. And as a result of the coronavirus spreading and everything, we cannot gather physically as a church. And so we've got this new building, but we're not able to use it. Everything is on hold, and the topic of walking with God by faith as opposed to living by fear is all the more relevant, all the more applicable to our lives than perhaps ever before. So for many of us, you know, if you're not afraid of the virus, which I would hope that you're not, many of us, though, you're dealing with things related to it. Some of you are out of work right now. Some of you, it's temporary, but for others of you, you don't know how long this shutdown is going to last, and maybe your job has ended completely. There are other things that we're dealing with in our lives that are just kind of throwing things into turmoil. And yet, as the people of God, I would say that we are uniquely 
we are uniquely equipped to face situations just like this. And not only survive and get through these things, but even to thrive in the midst of hardships and actually to fulfill our calling in an even greater way, to be the hands and feet of God in the world. And so, guys, you know, I would tell you this. The brilliance of a diamond shines all the more brightly and more brilliantly against a back, a dark backdrop. And so for us, these are the times when we as Christians, we shine. These are the times when the brilliance of the gospel shines all the more clearly, when people are able to see it more clearly, see the brilliance of Jesus and his gospel. And we hope that they'll see it through our lives as we walk by faith and as we face difficult situations. So this series is all the more relevant considering what we're going through. And what I'd like to do is just walk you through one of the most important stories in the Bible on the topic of walking with God by faith as opposed to being driven by fear. And so if you'd please read along with me, I'll read to you from Numbers 13 and 14. It's kind of some scattered verses. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send and a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all these men who were the heads of the people of Israel. Verse 25, chapter 13. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We have come to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea all along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people that we saw in it are of great height. We saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Now, chapter 14, verse 5 through 10. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were um, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we study this passage, give us insight into it. Help us to apply it to our lives. And Lord, would you help us that we would truly respond in faith rather than fear in so many areas of our lives where it matters. And we pray that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, we're told what faith is. We're given a definition of faith. And what we're told is this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Then if you keep going a few verses later in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us this, that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. And so faith, we see, is an absolutely vital aspect of what it means to have a relationship with God. Now, when we talk, though, about abstract concepts, right? Like faith is kind of an abstract concept. It's kind of hard a little bit to put your finger on what it is exactly. So when we're dealing with abstract concepts, one of the nice things that the Bible does for us is it doesn't only give us definitions, like in Hebrews 11, but what it gives us is stories. It gives us stories so we can see what faith looks like lived out. We can see what faith looks like with boots on, on the ground, living and walking. This is what faith looks like, and this is what faith doesn't look like. And one of the stories that we have that does that most clearly for us is the one in question here, the story of Numbers 13 and 14 and the entering of the promised land. The title of this message is crossing the Jordan. And as we read this story, I would say that there are three questions that are posed that God wants us to ask ourselves as we read this story. And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself these questions, and this will serve as our outline. So number one, will you be driven by faith or by fear? Number two, which battles do you want to fight? And number three, will you take the step of faith? Okay, so number one, will you be driven by faith or by fear. In Numbers chapter 13, we pick up the story, and this is really a story that begins, I guess you could say, all the way back in Genesis with Abraham, but it goes through Exodus. The people end up in slavery in Egypt, but really this is part of the greater story of the Exodus, that God has freed his people out of Egypt, and he's bringing them into the promised land. I think it's really important to remember about the Exodus that the Exodus wasn't only about an exit. It wasn't only about God taking them from bondage, but it was about bringing them into a place of blessing in the promised land. And just like so many other areas in the Old Testament, what God did for the people of Israel in the Exodus was a foreshadowing of what God does for us in Christ. So just as Israel was in physical bondage to slavery in Egypt, we as human beings, we're told in the Bible, we are in bondage to sin, to fallenness, to corruption. Paul says in Romans that apart from Christ, we don't only sin, but we are actually slaves to sin. And yet the good news of the gospel is that God has intervened. God has intervened. He's done something in order to set us free, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because he heard our cries, he saw our suffering, and he had mercy on us. And so he intervened. He set us free. Paul the Apostle actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, that just as Israel passed through the Red Sea during the Exodus, that that is actually a picture of baptism. How after God sets us free, the next next thing that happens is we're set apart. We're set apart from the world, from our old life unto a new life with God. And then the next thing that happens, right? God sets them free. He brings them to the base of a mountain. It's sometimes called Mount Sinai. It's sometimes called the mountain of God. But he brings them to the base of this mountain. At the base of that mountain, he gives them his word, his law, his commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all 613 commandments of the law of God. And not only that, he actually gives them instructions. Instructions for how to organize themselves as a society and instructions for how to organize 
organize themselves after they leave that mountain and go to the promised land. And then he gives them directions when to rise up and move forward and where to go. And God leads them to this place, which is the southern border of the promised land. And I think that's really important for us to see that God didn't only, again, bring them out of slavery and bondage, but he brought them into blessing. God had a mission for them. So God saving them wasn't only saving them from something, it was saving them to something, to the promised land, to a mission, to occupy this place. And even beyond that, in that place, they had a mission. And that mission was to shine the light of God, to be a beacon, to be a lighthouse for the world that would shine the glory of God and draw people to God himself and his glory. And so in the same way, God has called us to so much more. He saves us not only from sin, from our old life, but he saves us unto a new life, a life of freedom and blessing, but also a life of mission to shine his light and his glory for the nations to see him and be drawn to him. And so the goal, right, is not just to come out of something, but at some point it's to receive the word of God, to get to know him through his word, but then to rise up and move into that life of blessing and that calling to mission. So that's where we see a parallel between us and what happened with Israel and what they were called to. It's really interesting, you know, what does the promised land represent? You know, in a lot of African-American spiritual songs, the promised land is used to represent heaven. But I would say that if you really look at the text and you really look at the story and the, the parallels here, we'd have to say the promised land actually does not represent heaven. And I'll give you a few reasons why. One main reason is this, that in the promised land, there are still battles to be fought. There are still enemies to fight against. There's still pain and suffering. There's still death in the promised land. The promised land doesn't represent heaven. What does the promised land represent? Right. Also, remember, in the promised land, there's still a mission to shine God's glory and be a lighthouse for the world. So it doesn't represent heaven. Rather, what it represents is what we might call the full Christian life, walking with God, fulfilling his mission, living out his callings on our lives, and shining his light to the world. It's living in that full Christian life, the fullness of who God has called us to be and who he has called us to be as his people. So where we pick up the story here, Numbers 13, God has led his people to the southern border of the promised land. And he tells them in verse 1 of chapter 13, before they go in, they should spy out the land. So one person from every tribe is chosen as a representative of the tribe, as a leader of the tribe, to go in and kind of do some reconnaissance work in this new land. Now, remember, why would they do this? Was it because they weren't sure if they were going to go in or not? No, that's not the reason. It isn't to decide, should we go or should we stay? The reason that they're supposed to go into the land right now and do this spying work is because they've got two million people with them, which includes elderly people, it includes sick people, it includes children. And so if they just start going, but they don't know the path, they haven't blazed the trail, right? They don't know where to go and where not to go, where to camp, where not to camp. Maybe they'll all be going two million people and like a bunch of lemmings, just like fall off a cliff or like run into a river and re remember like, oh yeah, we forgot we can't swim, right? So they need to kind of plan out where they're going to go and do some recon work before they do it. So that's the reason these spies are sent in. It isn't to decide, should we go or should we stay? It's to make a plan for what they're going to do when they go in. And so what we see verses 4 through 15 of chapter 13 is that we're given the names of the 12 men who go in to spy out the land. Now just a little side note here is this. Those of you who are familiar with the story, 
Let me just give you a little test. How many of the 12 spies can you name off the top of your head? No cheating. I know that you're at home looking at your Bibles, but no cheating. How many can you name off the top of your head? I'm guessing that those of you who are familiar with the story can name two of them, Joshua and Caleb. In fact, I've never met anybody in my entire life who can name more than two of them without looking at the text. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why people name their kids Joshua and Caleb, and they don't name them Palti, Shephat, and Shemua, although those are also names of spies who went in. Uh, why doesn't anyone name their kids after those spies? Well, there's a very good reason, and we're going to see that reason as the story progresses. So chapter 13, verses 21 through 29, we read that the spies entered the promised land, and for 40 days they explored it from south to north and back. And near the city of Hebron, which is near the southern part of Israel, they come to this valley of vineyards. And in this vineyard, there's these clusters of grapes. In fact, the name of the city that's mentioned there literally means in Hebrew, cluster. So they take this giant cluster of grapes back to Israel together with pomegranates and figs. Now, just imagine what this would be like, right? If you were an Israeli person, you've lived for the last year or so in the desert barren, almost no vegetation, very little water, and you come into this place where you see lush green valleys. You see places where you can plant crops, places where there's actual water and, and sources of water for you to drink. And so they would have been so excited, so blown away. Wow, this is what God is giving to us. What a good God he is. Like, what a generous God. We can enjoy this fruit. There's plenty of water. There's uh, opportunity to plant crops. And so verse 25, it says, the spies return and give the report. And essentially, the report they give in their facts is the exact same report. They all say this, it's an exceedingly good land full of blessings, but it won't be easy because there are giants in the land. There are strongholds, fortified cities in the lands that we'll have to deal with. There are going to be battles that will have to be fought in this land. Basically, there is an enormity to this task that is more than they're cut out for, and everybody acknowledges that. This is beyond their capacity. This is beyond their capabilities. This is beyond what they're cut out for. But here's where it gets interesting. Although they all agree on the facts of the situation, they do not all agree on how they should respond. They do not all agree on what they should do and how they should respond to the situation. The first of the 12 to speak up, we see, is actually Caleb. And he says, okay, yes, it's very difficult. It's going to be hard. But this is what God has called us to do, and he will be with us. He'll give us the victory because he said he would, no matter how hard this is. We can do this. Let's go. But then in verse 31, look at what happens. Ten of the other guys, the other 12, right? The other 11, 10 of them, they stand up and they say, hey, hey, wait a second. There is no way that we're going into this land. There's no way. This is too hard. This is more than we're cut out for. This is out of our league. And they're essentially saying this. Check this out. They're saying, not even God can help us in this case. They say in verse 33, the people in that land are giants, they're big, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. You know, like if you, as a runner, there's this time of the year when all the grasshoppers come out, and then when you're running, you're just squashing grasshoppers as you run. It's like they're committing suicide and just jumping in front of your feet as you run. And so they're basically saying, oh, we're like grasshoppers, they're like people running, right? And they're just going to squash us so we don't stand a chance. But notice the difference in perspective that we see here between Caleb and the 
the 10 unbelieving spies. The unbelieving spies are focused on the enormity of the task, how great the challenge is, and the fact that they're ill-equipped for it, whereas Caleb and Joshua are focused on something else. They're focused on the bigness of God how big God is, and the fact that God has called them to do this, and therefore they believe God will keep his promise. He's a big God who keeps his word. And so it says in chapter 14, verse 1, that the people of Israel, hearing these reports, they wept aloud through the night. They're weeping out of frustration, out of despair. God has led them all this way out there for years now. They've been, it's about a year and a half or so since they've come out of Egypt. And they've prepared. They've been excited. We're going to enter the promised land. But now they get this report. There are giants. It's, it's way too hard. They definitely can't do this. And, and of course, the people aren't listening to the two believing spies. They're listening to the 10 unbelieving spies who are saying, you know, we can't do this, rather than the people who are saying, God's called us to do it, and therefore, with his help, we can. Now, look, it says in chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and look at what they say. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt or to die in the wilderness. Why did God bring us all this way out here just to kill us? Maybe we should go back to Egypt. And they like have a little meeting. They start throwing out names. Well, this guy will lead us. He can lead us. He'll take us back to Egypt. They start choosing a new leader who will take them back to Egypt. Now, I wonder how many of you can relate to those kinds of feelings. You know, I was talking to Pastor Mike the other day, and, and we were saying something similar, you know, like, wow, you know, God, why did you lead us into this building with this added financial burden and responsibility right at the same time that the coronavirus hits and takes away all the people who are supposed to fill up this building, right? Like we've got all these plans, all these ideas, and now everything's on hold, but we still got to pay the bills, Maybe there are areas of your life where you've said those kinds of thoughts. I know what God wants me to do, but it just seems too hard. It seems too big. It seems too daunting. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have what it takes. In fact, you know what? Actually, I'm sure that I don't have what it takes. I'm sure that I don't have what it takes to do what God's calling me to do. It's too big. There are too many obstacles. I'm not cut out for this. I, I don't got this, so to say, right? And maybe you're even tempted to say what the people of Israel said, right? Hey, you know what? My old life really wasn't all that bad, right? It wasn't that bad. Um, you know, this following Jesus thing is turning out to be a little bit more challenging than I originally thought it would be. So maybe I should just go back to my old life. I know it wasn't good. I know I was kind of miserable, right? But hey, at least it was comfortable in the sense of I knew what to expect, and so we're faced with this dilemma. God is calling you into something which you know is good, something which is better than anything you've ever experienced. New vistas, right? New horizons, new summits, good places, blessings you haven't yet experienced. But in order to take hold of them, there are going to be some battles that need to be fought. There are going to be some strongholds that you're going to need to face. You're going to need to take that step of faith and obedience and following God's leading in spite of your fears. Guys, courage is not the lack of fear. It's the willingness to act even and, and do the right thing, even in the face of fear. When it comes to following God, though, here's the thing. We have reason to be courageous. Here's why. Because God has promised us the victory. This isn't just baseless optimism. 
This isn't just unfounded courage. This is courage which comes from faith. It comes from the promise of God that he's faithful, but it also comes from, from the actions of Jesus that he already accomplished, right? That's how we know that he will indeed come through and provide us with the strength and the resources that we lack on our own to do what he's called us to do. Notice what Joshua says in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 14. He stands up and he tells the people, look, we do not have what it takes. You're right, but God can do it. And if God is with us, he will give us the victory. And And look what he says, the one thing we cannot do The one thing we cannot afford to do is to rebel against the Lord and not obey what he's calling us to do. Because if God is with us, and he is, then we can defeat those giants. They will be like bread to us. We will devour them and we'll chew them up. We'll swallow them, right? If God is with us, we've got to choose the way of faith rather than the way of fear. This is super good speech, right? Except, look how the people respond to it. Verse 10, the congregation picked up stones to stone them to death. The people are like, listen, Joshua and Caleb, you know, get out of here with all this talk about trusting God and doing what he says. We've made up our minds. We're not going. We're not going to do it. We don't care what you say. God cannot help us in this situation. It's too big. And if you say another word telling us that we should go, we're going to kill you. So it's kind of a a little bit of an extreme reaction, don't you think? Like, we're going to murder you if you tell us what we don't want to hear. They so hate the idea of someone telling them to do the thing which they know that they ought to do, that they're willing to kill this person. So this whole idea of going back to Egypt, though, is pretty ridiculous when you really think about it. I mean, did they forget the fact that the Egyptians murdered their children by throwing them in the river? They forget the daily beatings. They forget the fact that the Egyptians said, okay, make this many bricks, and if you don't make them, we're going to beat you. But then they didn't give them any materials to make the bricks with, so guess what happened? Every day they got beaten. Did they forget the fact of how they rejoiced when God set them free and gave them liberation? This whole idea of going back to Egypt, it's not logical. But that's exactly it, right? Oftentimes with fear, we're not, we're not thinking logically. We're not thinking reasonably. We're, we're thinking emotionally. We're caught up in the fear. And this is purely about fear. The big difference between Joshua and Caleb and, and the rest of the people is this question. How big is your God? How big is your God? And I would just ask you to ask yourself that question as well. In the midst of your current situation, whether it's your job or your financial situation or something to do with this coronavirus, I would just ask you this. Are your eyes fixed more on the greatness of God and what he's called you to do? Or are your eyes more fixed on the enormity and difficulty of the task before you and your lack of ability to do what you're supposed to do or called to do? If your eyes are fixed on God and his greatness and his ability, then the result will be courage. If, on the other hand, your eyes are fixed on the enormity of the challenge rather than on God, then your heart will be full of fear. Remember what Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper. He said this, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, when I'm encouraging you to have faith rather than fear, this is not just optimism for the sake of optimism. This isn't just baseless, unfounded, positive thinking. No, this is rooted in the actions of Jesus where he said, it's done. I did it. It's finished. It's based in the promises of God. See, on the cross, Jesus defeated death and he defeated the one who holds the power of death. 
And one day, that victory will be fully realized. There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more death forever. But now, for now, God has a mission with us. There are battles to be fought. There's ground to be taken. There are blessings to be experienced. And there is light to be shined. There are people to love. And so what we do... Uh, we do this from the position of knowing for sure with complete certainty that victory is ours. Jesus has already earned that victory. So whatever challenge you're facing, you can face it knowing that God is with you, that he'll strengthen you, that he will supply you with everything you need to do what he has called you to do. And you do it from a place of victory that is sure because it's already been won. In other words, You can't lose, which is good news, right? You cannot lose because he has already won the great battle. So we fight our little battles with so much confidence and joy, knowing that the great battle has already been decided. And everything we do now is just walking in the good works that God has already prepared for us to walk in them, to shine his light and bring him glory. So the question that they face, the same question that we face, will you walk by faith or will you walk by by fear. The people of Israel, unfortunately, choose to walk by fear rather than faith, and we see the devastating consequences of that decision, and it's meant to be a warning for us as what will happen when we walk by fear rather than faith. Look at what happens in verse 11 of chapter 14. God gets so upset with their disbelief and their decision to not trust him and to not follow him by faith um, that he gets upset with them. He gets angry. His wrath is kindled. And so what that tells us, whereas faith pleases God, whereas faith makes you a friend of God, disbelief upsets God. Disbelief puts you at enmity with God. Rebellion against God puts you at enmity with him. And as a result of their decision in verses 20 through 38 of chapter 14, the result of their refusal to enter the land, God declares that this entire generation, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, will not be allowed to enter the promised land. Think about this. They are going to spend the rest of their lives in the wilderness until they die, and only their children will be able to enter the promised land. And so for the next 38 years, right, we get the number 40, because that's the total number of how long it takes for, from the time they leave Egypt to the time they enter the promised land. But for 38 years, they're going to wander in the wilderness as a result of their unbelief. Most of their wanderings take place in what's modern-day Jordan and southern Syria. But when they do enter the promised land, they are going to enter it from the east side on the Jordan River, not on the south side where they are right now. What's interesting is if you look at a map of this area, it's not a very large area, right? You could do this walk in a matter of days. You consider all these people, maybe they need two weeks. But it certainly doesn't take 40 years to walk from the southern border to the eastern border. So why did it take this long? Well, because they're just literally walking in circles, spinning their wheels, going nowhere until they die. This is a very vivid picture of a wasted life. And so God very much wants us to see this stark contrast between the results of walking in faith and walking in fear. Walking in faith takes you to the promised land. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, there will be difficulties. But at least they, they are meaningful. At least they get you somewhere. But walking in fear, look where it gets you. It gets you nowhere. It gets you wasting your life in the desert where your life is aimless, your activities are futile, and then you die. 
that's where, where this gets you. So we should look at this, and my point for you would be this. We should be more afraid of walking in fear than we are of walking in faith. And that brings us to our second point. And by the way, these last two points will be short and sweet. The second point is this. Which battles do you want to fight? Which battles do you want to fight? Think about this. The reason they are afraid to enter the promised land is because they're afraid of the battles. They're afraid of being defeated. They're afraid of the fights they're going to have to fight and possibly losing. So out of fear of the battles, out of fear of being defeated, they refused to do what God called them to do. But look at what happens as a result. Verse 11 of chapter 14 they stir up the wrath of God against them. Now think about that. In an effort to avoid battling giants, they end up as enemies of the ultimate giant, right? God himself. They put themselves at war with the ultimate giant. Now we'll get back to that in a second, but look at what happens at the end of chapter 14. God tells them, you're not going to be able to enter the promised land you're going to spend the rest of your life in the wilderness spinning your wheels until you die. And the people hear that and they like freak out. They freak out that we made a huge mistake. What did we do? And so as a people, they just all rush into the promised land. So they're like, no, 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 we're going to go. We're going to do it. And God's like, too late. He's removed his protection from them. So they rush into the promised land. And guess what happens? They get defeated. The very thing they were so afraid of in going into the promised land, which God had promised them, if you walk with me, I'll give you victory. They're like, oh, they run in and they get defeated. And, and then guess what? If you follow the rest of the story throughout the book of Numbers, what happens? Throughout the book of Numbers, for the next 38 years, they wander in the wilderness and you guessed it, they fight a lot of battles against different tribes, against different cities, local populations. They're in the wilderness. And guess what? A lot of times they get defeated. Sometimes they win, though. But think about that. Even when they win, what do they gain from it? They gain absolutely nothing, even from their wins. They don't gain any territory. They don't get to take any ground. Nothing that lasts. In other words, in the wilderness, they still have to fight battles. Except those battles are meaningless. They were so afraid of fighting battles in the promised land, but at least those battles would have meant something. At least they would have gotten them somewhere. In the wilderness, they still fight battles, but without God's guarantee of victory. And those battles are meaningless struggles that get them nowhere and get them nothing. Now, over the years, I'll tell you this. I've encountered many people who have said things along the lines of this. My life is so hard so I'm done following Jesus. Um, you know, my life is hard. It's hard walking with God by faith. Things aren't going the way I want. So I'm going back to Egypt, so to say. I'm going back to my old way of life. I'm done with God. God didn't answer my prayers the way I hoped. I'm frustrated in life. I'm disappointed. So my response will be, well, I'm done trying to do things God's way. Now I'm going to do things my way again. And they turn their back on God and they go their own way. In other words, forsaking the way of faith out of fear. Now maybe some of you, even in your current situation, you're tempted in the same way because of what you're facing in your life right now. Here's what I would want you to see. That, that this story paints very vividly and very clearly. There are going to be battles and hardships when you walk with God. But guess what? When you don't walk with God, there are going to be battles and hardships in this life. Either way, right? As Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Guess what? Cancer touches Christians and non-Christians. People lose their jobs, whether they're Christians or whether they're not Christians. Your loved ones will be lost unless Jesus comes back 
whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, in this world, we will have tribulations. It's a guarantee. Jesus told us that. But here's the difference. If we walk with God, if we walk by faith, then he guarantees us his presence and his power, and he guarantees us that those things will actually be meaningful, that our suffering will not be wasted, that it won't be in vain as we walk with him, that he'll actually use those things for our benefit in the long run and for his glory and for his mission in the big picture. As you walk with God, the promise of the gospel is not that you won't suffer, but it is that your suffering will not be wasted. You see, it's just like the promised land. You'll have battles, but they'll have meaning as opposed to the other way, where you will still have battles, and yet they will be meaningless, and you won't have God's guarantee of his power, his presence, and purpose in the midst of those struggles. So the question is this, which battles do you want to fight? Do you want to fight the ones God has called you to fight? Or meaningless struggles that you will have to face on your own, which have no lasting meaning or purpose? To me, the the choice is pretty clear which one of those is better. The things God is calling you to do, they might be hard, yes, but he promises you his power, his presence, and that those things will have a lasting purpose. And finally, our, our final question is this. Will you take the step of faith? And here's the question. What are the steps of faith that God is calling you to make and will you make them? Now, it might not be something drastic, right? God isn't always just calling you to make like huge life decisions. It can be as simple as this. Spiritual disciplines. Will you take the step of faith and do those things? Reading your Bible, praying with your spouse, making sure your kids are being raised up in the ways of the Lord. For some of you, maybe God's calling you to trust him with your finances, right? And maybe that includes financial giving, supporting the work of God through the local church. For others of you, it's a friend or family member that you know God wants you to talk to them about your faith and share with them about your faith, share the gospel with them, but you've been hesitant. Will you take that step of faith and do what God's leading you to do? For others of you, it might be as simple as joining a ministry and serving in some way or joining a community group so you can grow. For, for some of you, it's something related to your job. It's a step of faith that you need to take. Look, we're going to continue studying this story over the next, at least the next week in our next Sunday sermon. But for now, let me just tell you this. If you skip ahead to Joshua chapter 3, you'll see the story of the people of Israel actually entering into the promised land. They take that final step over the river Jordan into the promised land. And as they do that, they're faced with, again, another difficulty. They have to cross this river that's flooded, and and it's an impossible task. A big flooded river, you got two million people, many of whom can't swim. But God tells them, if you will take the first step, the step of faith, the step of obedience, if you will step into the river, then he said, I will make the river stop. But I won't stop it until you take that step of faith into the river. So what happens? The priests go first. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they do exactly that. The first priest says, well, I guess here goes nothing, right? Steps into the river, and as he steps, the river, the flow of the river stops. And what's so incredible to me is that it tells us the flow of the river had actually already stopped many miles upstream, God knowing exactly the timing of when his foot would touch the ground. But here's the point. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. As we walk by faith rather than by fear, God leads us to very good places that have lasting significance.
And in conclusion, there's one part of the story that I want to bring your attention back to. When the people rebelled, remember, the wrath of God was kindled against them. Friends, the truth is this. That's the story of all of our lives. All of us have done that. All of us at times have acted in unbelief. All of us at times have rebelled against God. We've fallen short. We've failed to be the people, not only who God calls us to be, but even the people we ourselves know that we should be and ought to be. And as a result, we have made ourselves enemies of God, deserving of judgment. But what we see in this story is, is that in chapter 14, Moses, out of love, intercedes for the people of Israel. And as a result of Moses' intercession on their behalf, God has mercy on them. And, and why? Why did God do this, right? He, he, he has mercy on them. Even though they won't enter the promised land, God is with them throughout the, their journey in the promised land. He never abandons them, never gives up on them. He provides for them. And when their lives enter, though they don't enter into the promised land physically, God God gathers them to himself to eternal comfort. Now, why is this story here? This story about God being angry and Moses interceding. It's here because this too is part of our story, all of our stories. We've all fallen short. We've acted in disbelief. We've all deserved the judgment of God because of our shortcomings and failures. But there is one, this is the good news, there is one whom Moses foreshadowed, the greater than Moses, Jesus Christ, who came and interceded, intervened on our behalf. He took the judgment that we deserved. He interceded before the Father on our behalf. The wrath of God for our sins came upon him on the cross. He was treated as we deserve so that we could then be treated as he deserves. Jesus, and by the way, did you know that his name, Yeshua, is the same as the name Joshua, the faithful one, right, from this story, the one who obeyed perfectly, the one who had faith. Jesus, Yeshua, he is our righteousness. And when you put your faith in what he has done for you on the cross, you are saved, you're redeemed, and you're given hope and a future in God. That's the good news of the gospel. And I want to encourage you to embrace it by faith. Whether it's for the first time or the 500th time, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. And so my encouragement for you today as we finish is this. Walk in faith, not in fear, because Jesus came. He earned the victory. He gave us the victory, and that victory is ours in him. Therefore, we can confidently and courageously follow God's callings on our lives and do what he's called us to do in response to what Jesus has done for us. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you for that good news of the gospel. And Lord, truly, we want to embrace it by faith. I pray for everyone listening, everyone watching, Lord, that truly where they're at, they would embrace this truth by faith. Lord, that you earned the victory. You interceded on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you are the greater than Moses who leads us into blessings, leads us into purpose and calling, that you are always with us. And thank you that when this life is over, we know that we will enter into that eternal dwelling that has been prepared for us with you. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and suffering right now from coronavirus. Lord, we ask that you would heal their bodies. We ask that you would stop the spread of this disease. We pray for those who are vulnerable at this time, that you would protect them. And Lord, help us to be wise as we choose uh, how to interact and where to go. Lord, give us wisdom that we could be your hands and feet during this time. May we be courageously pursuing your mission because of what Jesus did. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.